This is Great Day Nation, presented by Vegas Insider. I'm your host, Morton Anderson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the 40,000 feet blue sky optimist, Tommy Freeze Pops. Tommy, what do we got this week, my man? Morton, thanks as always for having me, and it doesn't get much better than this. Charles Barkley joins us on the podcast this week to help us get ready for March Madness. He talks music football, 90s hoops, today's NBA, so many great stories with Chuck. Then I'll be joined by Kevin Rogers for our weekly check-in with the experts from Vegas Insider. He'll help us get ready to fill out our brackets. And as always, we'll close things out with your weekly game winner on Charles Barkley this week. Very excited for Sir Charles. A lot of great stuff planned for you guys. But Morton, before we get to your conversation with Chuck, the Spartans are dancing. It's a play-in game to secure the 11 seed in the East region against another traditional power, the 17-9 and UCLA Bruins. Morton, what is your message to Tom Izzo and the boys? Arriba, arriba, arriba. <laughs> let's dance. Let's dance, boys. Let's go, Spartan Nation. I can't believe we have to play in. Is it a little embarrassing for you? Hey, it's better than than being in the NIT or not being invited. So, hey, I'll check the ego at the door. We're in. We got to beat the Bruins and then anything can happen. We overachieve in the tourney. That's just what Spartans do. There's no retreat, no surrender. We fight and we come out. And this Spartan team is different than all the others. I realize that. It's very young. We've had some issues with some turnovers here and there. But lately, we have beaten Illinois. We've beaten Ohio State. We've beaten Michigan. We've also lost to Maryland in the Big Ten uh, championship. That was not good. But it's different. It's March Madness, and Spartans show up in March. That's all I'm going to say. Let's go, Izzo. Let's go, boys. And one interesting thing I saw when looking at that region, if they get deep, we could see a Michigan versus Michigan State hmm. game late in the tournament. So that's got to be motivation. They see Michigan with the one seed there. That can't sit well with Izzo and Michigan State seeing their rivals with that number one next to their name. They feel like uh, that's got to be theirs. Yeah, and, you know, we're beating them. We beat them at home. We lost, you know, the first one. We lost to them, and then we took care of business at home. So that should be a fun game. If it gets to that, I will welcome that. Spartans will welcome that. And those little Wolverines, I don't know, they might crawl into a hole and try to hide. <laughs> I love it. Well, talking March Madness, yes. who better to have than Charles Barkley on the podcast? Let's get to that conversation with Charles. All right, man, let's kick it. My guest this week is a basketball Hall of Famer, a broadcast Hall of Famer and a larger-than-life personality. Charles Barkley is funny, insightful, and captivating on every level. And it's my pleasure to welcome him to Great Day Nation. Charles, welcome, buddy. And I think congratulations is in order. I believe that you had kind of a milestone in your life last weekend. Tell me about that. Yeah, Martin, it was the greatest weekend of my life. My daughter got – I only have one kid, and my daughter got married – and man, it, it, it was, I, I held up pretty good. I only cried one time when I was doing the dance, daughter dance song. We did Zach Brown, uh, The Man Who Loves You The Most. That's mm-hmm. the only time I really cried. But walking her down the aisle, she, he's, he's a great guy. 
you know, he's Russian Jewish. Uh, he's got his own computer software company, got great parents, and he got a great grandmother, her name Tamara. Mm-hmm. But his uh, mom and dad's name uh, is Alex and Katia, and his brother. I don't want to leave him out, Ash. But they're just an amazing family. And, uh, man, I'm so proud of my daughter. She's just a wonderful kid, and she's happy. And, you know, hey, if my daughter's happy, Chuck is happy. Yeah, you're right about that. Now, hey, you- hey, but I was a little worried when they tried to pick me up in a chair. I'm not going to lie. What do you mean, pick you up in a chair? Well, it was a Jewish wedding. So they have to, I think it's called a horror, and they have to pick the dads up in a chair. <laughs> and I was wondering, you know, I've been on a strict diet, but hey, I wasn't going to get skinny. I mean, I'm always be a fat dude. And I was worried about them trying to pick me up. And I got to admit, well, we had a bunch of people. I'm not going to lie about that. But they did a really good job and they didn't drop me. So all is good. You had a big chair? Must have had a pretty solid oak chair or something. Oh, hey, listen, I don't know what, uh, I, listen, uh, only you Danish <laughs> people know about different types of wood, brother. I just, I, I, hey, listen, I don't know a lot about wood. I ain't going to lie. I well, you know, I've been, get, I've been getting killed for years because I know I don't know how to fix anything. I don't know how to do anything around the house. Uh, so I don't know different types of wood. That's that's your specialty. I don't know about that, but I, I do know this. You have the gift of gab. You know basketball. You have your opinions. And I've always, now that I have you in front of me, you know, I've always admired the fact that you were always unapologetic in the way you you spoke about things that you were convicted about and you, you were public about it and you took backlashes many times, but by and large, you, you stood by what you said unapologetically. I really like that. That takes well, guts. Well, well, you know, Martin, I figured out, actually I figured out my third year in the NBA, I was becoming a star. Dr. J was uh, on his last go around and we started talking and I really wanted to be like, First of all, everybody wants everybody to like them. Let's get that out the way. But clearly, I realized right away, it doesn't matter what you say. You can't make everybody happy. I mean, I tell people, if you go around trying to make everybody happy, you're just going to go crazy. So I made up my mind like, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter what I say. Half the people are going to like it and half the people are going to hate it. Because the one thing I figured out about fans, they said they want honesty, but they want two things. They want you to tell them their team is great, and their favorite player is great. And if you don't say that, they hate your ass anyway. I mean, that's just the way this thing works. You know, it's like all these years, you know, every time I go to New York, they're like, you hate the Knicks. You hate the Knicks. I said, well, let me ask you a question. The Knicks haven't been good since Patrick Ewing is there. So my job is to get on TV and tell you y'all suck. Now, they're having a great year this year. But, I, you know, I don't care who wins. I, I really don't. But I'm not going to get on TV and tell somebody that they got a good team when they don't. You're making a good point. And I think that's what's so attractive to that show with Shaq and Kenny and Ernie, that you're all different, you know, but you bring something different to it, but all authentically so. Ernie has, he's kind of like the uh, the saying in a circus, you know, where you have a guy that kind of well, he could, shares he could, of the thing. He, he, he controls the animals and the clowns. That'd be the best way. That's what Ernie <laughs> is. He controls the animals and the clowns. You know, you know, Martin, it's a really fun show. I love working with those guys. I just started my 20th year. And Ernie always jokes because uh, I told him when I took the job, I said, I'm only going to be here for three years and I'm leaving. And uh, Ernie's been there 30. Kenneth's been there 25. I've been there 20. I think Shaq's been there like 10 now. 
You know, I think we the reason our show is successful is, you know, I don't think people understand. We're on from 8 to 2 in the morning. And listen, I know as much as you love football, you don't want to talk about it for six hours. As much as I love basketball, I don't want to talk about it for six hours. I think the thing that has made our show successful, we reached a great compromise like, hey, you want to talk basketball? We're going to talk basketball. But our real job is to just make you have fun for six hours. I mean, that's that's what the key is. I mean, you can't – listen – I always tell people, if you want me to get out there and just X and O you to death, like if somebody asks you about football, you can say, well, they were playing a cover two, they were playing a zone, uh, that was a blitz, uh, you, what's the uh, Mike linebacker? Like everybody's going to look at you like, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, because most people, and I don't mean this in a negative way, they know absolutely nothing about sports. Uh, so... I want them to enjoy basketball, but I think our main job is to make them laugh while they're watching basketball. And they do. And they laugh. And and just I mean, it, it, it's funny. Is there anything you ever said, Charles, that you just go, okay, I should have should not have said that. I regret saying that. I mean, was there something when it came out of your mouth, you go, oh, shouldn't have said that? Well, I think the difference now more than is, like, now is, like, everybody's so sensitive. Like everything I've said, whether it was stupid or not, I just wanted people to laugh. I do. I want, like, because I say that's my job to make people laugh and enjoy basketball. But nowadays, things have changed. Like, stuff that I probably said that was funny 20 years ago, it don't go now. And I really think that's sad, to be honest with you, because we, I don't know what's happened to the world where everybody's so politically correct, you can't joke. I mean, because to me, Context matter. Context does matter to me. Now, every time one of us get in trouble, they're like, context doesn't matter. I'm like, it should matter. It should matter. Like, y'all want us to be funny and have a great time. But nowadays, you have to be really careful what you say. Uh, So to answer your question, there's stuff that I said as a joke 20, 15 years ago. Nowadays, (laughs) <laughs> all hell could break loose. <laughs> can't can't and, say it. It's not for the better, though. I agree with you, and and at least you have this. Now, Turner's contract with FanDuel allows you to talk about gambling on TV now. I never thought that day would come, man. Hey, come on. All, you're taking a kid in a can, a fat kid in a candy store. Oh, hey, Martin, I love gambling. The highlight of my year is football season. And then I did something stupid for the Super Bowl. I bet against Tom Brady. Um, That was beautiful to watch. I hope it wasn't a big number. Yeah, uh, it was a big number. This was my 24th straight year going to Vegas for Super Bowl. It's the best place in the world to watch the Super Bowl. It wasn't the same this year because of COVID. Uh, Because normally I'm in a room with, 10 to 15,000 people, and they're going nuts. Everybody in the room is bet on something. The room is electric. They got every alcoholic beverage. They got every food in the world you want. And this year, you couldn't have a bunch of people, so it wasn't great. But the last 23 years, it's the greatest place to watch. You're in like an auditorium, and everybody in the room is bet on the game, and it's just awesome. What was the bet? What was your bet? Uh, I bet 100 grand on the Chiefs, and I knew on the line. Yeah, and I knew it was over right away. Uh, You know, it was a friend of mine with me, uh, Derek Anderson. He said, Chuck, do not bet on the Chiefs. 
And he says, <laughs> I said, Derek, what do you think? He said, Charles, they're going to kill Patrick Mahomes. And he played quarterback in the NFL for like 12 and 13 years. He says, they're going to kill Mahomes. They got three offensive linemen out. The kid up in Canada who's doing some amazing things in the medical field. And then they had the two injuries. He said, he told me this Friday night and Saturday. We played golf Saturday and Sunday. He said, Chuck, I'm just warning you. They're going to kill Patrick Mahomes. And I'm like, what do you know? You only played quarterback in the NFL for 12 years. And we, when we were flying back home Monday, I said, yo, man, I should have listened to you because I could listen. I listen that I got more respect for Patrick Mahomes after that beating he took than when he's going out there throwing for 400 yards and five or six touchdowns because there was a couple of times I thought they were going to kill him when the game was over. But you, I, I, you could tell after the first quarter they were playing that zone so Tariq Hill could not get behind them. They didn't even have to bring in the linebackers. The defensive front was just going to have him running around for dear life. So it was really a kind of a boring game. But I knew after the first quarter, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. Yeah, Chuck, I'm going to throw a number at you now. It might, might surprise you. We talk about scrambling yards from Mahomes in that game, 600 yards. He ran around without throwing the ball forward. Yeah, I, I, when I saw that number, I was like, yards. I was like man. Is that a typo? That's what I thought. I thought it was a typo. And I was like, but, you know, it looked like it during the game. He was running for his life every time he dropped back. I think I saw a stat that, like, 60% of the time he was under pressure. It looked like it was more watching the game. Let's talk basketball. I saw a, a quote from you a while back, and I thought it was really interesting. You said, Two of the most influential players in the NBA, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And we have them to thank for where the league is today. What, what do you mean by that? Can you explain that to me? Well, if uh, I've said this it's 100% true. Magic Johnson and Larry Bird are the two most important people in NBA history. You know, more, you know everybody look at sport at the NBA now, like guys are making $20, $30 million, and God bless them, number one. But, like, I'm old. When when I came into the NBA, the average salary was only two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now the average salary today is like eight to ten million, somewhere in there. It was eight million a couple of years ago. I know it's somewhere in there now. But when Magic Johnson and Larry Bird came to the NBA, the league was too black, a bunch of druggies, and nobody cared about it. And we got to give Magic Johnson and Larry Bird the credit they deserve. Because those guys, from that point on, the NBA's been on a road that's in, in, arguably one of the greatest roles in business history. I mean, think about that. The average salary was $250,000. Today, the average salary is between eight and $10 million. I think I saw a stat. We got, out of 400 players, we got like 200 players making $10 million or more. <laughs> that's like, Wow. And, and, and i tell you what's so funny. I remember, and I'm playing with Hall of Famers. I'm playing with Dr. J, Moses Malone, Maurice Cheek, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones' guys. I remember the first time a guy made a million dollars. We were walking around the locker room high-fiving each other. We could not believe an NBA player made a million dollars. I mean, that's that's how amazing. But it all goes back 
to Magic and Bird. They changed the whole dynamic of the NBA, uh, and the rest is history. So let me play the the name game with you a little bit. I like I was like getting guys' opinion on people they played with, the people they respected, people in the business. And it doesn't have to be a long answer, just whatever comes to mind. You just mentioned Moses Malone. When when I say Moses Malone to you, you say what? Uh, the most important person in my basketball career by far. Why? You know, Morgan, when I got to the – you know, in college I played about 295 pounds and I had great success. Uh, I was in college for three years and I led to SEC and rebounding every year. So I didn't realize I was out of shape, to be honest with you. I knew I was a little chubby, but I didn't think I was out of shape. So I get to the 76ers, and Moses is already a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest ever. And I went – we actually lived in the same building. He has to live in the penthouse. I live in the poorhouse, if, if it's going to be honest about it. And I asked him one day, could I come up to his, his penthouse after practice? He said, sure, young fella, come up later in the afternoon. And I said, Moses, why am I not getting to play? And he said – Son, you're fat and you're lazy. I'm like, what? He says, you're fat and you're lazy. He said, Charles, you can't play basketball in the NBA at 300 pounds. You need to get in shape. He says, you got a lot of talent, but you can't work hard enough. You can't sustain it because you're out of shape. And Morton, this guy took a fat kid from Alabama under his wing. He said, I'll meet you in the morning. I'll meet you at night. He said, let's lose 10 pounds. I'm like, I get to 290. I get to 280. Now I'm starting to get to play because I can sustain my work ethic. I get to 270. I get to 260. And I get to 250. Number one, I didn't think I could lose 50 pounds, but I did. And when I got to 250, I'm actually starting to start now. And the rest is history. Mm. And I will never forget and I hope I'm always one of those old guys who, if a young guy, hey, you want me to help you out, I'll help you. And if it wasn't for Moses, because listen, I'm pretty sure you've seen this in football. I've seen guys eat their way out of the NBA. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, I I tell people in every sport, you can eat your way out of it. And I've seen it probably five times, maybe more than that. Since if I won't, I'm talking when I wasn't playing on TV, I've seen guys like he just ate his way out the league. But it's funny, really, but it's not, you know. It, it, it is. It's funny. But it's tragic. It's, tragic. It, it's funny. It's not, but it's true. Yeah. And if he hadn't taken the time to take a little kid from Alabama, he didn't have to do it either. He was on the back nine of his career, but he took the time to help me lose 50 pounds and made me a Hall of Fame basketball player. And that's why he's the most important person in my basketball career. That is awesome. And that's something I never knew, Chuck. And that that's, uh, I had the same thing. I had a couple of people in my life that made a huge difference. You don't know when that person comes. And it's usually transparent. Like, it's usually straight honesty that hits you right in the gut that wakes you hey, ass hey, up. Hey, boy, wakes I, you I, up. Hey, listen. First of all, I, I left out a small portion of it after he called me fat and lazy. I left out the crying part. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I, I, I left out the. I went to. I went back to my condo and cried. I'm like, this dude just called me fat and lazy. I couldn't cry in front of him, so I went back down to my condo and cried for like an hour. And then he he called me the net called me that night. And he said, "I'll see you early at practice tomorrow. We will get there an hour and a half early." 
But uh, yeah, I did. I left out the crying part. And you're like, yeah, yes, yes, Moses, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, somebody calls you fat. Like, hey, I always tell people, no matter how oh. old you are, or how big you are, somebody calls you fat and lazy, it hurts your feelings. Oh, it's well, things, hey, man. Well, hey, whether, whether it's true or not. It's things. I have been on that one, man. I've been called both. Mostly fat. <laughs> but that's whatever. All right. Hakeem Olajuwon. Honorable person. Uh, no hidden agenda. Uh, doesn't want to get patted on the back. Not looking to get patted on the back. Just want to be a great basketball player. Was really into his religion. Mm-hmm. But just a, a good guy. You know, you know, Martin, in our business, there are a lot, it's a lot of bullshit that goes on behind the scenes. A lot of it. Mm. A lot of infighting, a lot of jealousy. Well, I, I don't know how it is in football and basketball, you know, because the stars get all the credit and all the money. You know, the one thing that Dr. J taught me, and I think I did a really good job, I tried to always make sure that other guys that I know I appreciate what they were doing. Uh, you know, that's the one thing I always hear about Tom Brady. The players love him. Mm-hmm. And and I've known some players who played with him, and they're like, yo, man, he understands that he's Tom Brady, the greatest football player ever, but he makes everybody like, hey, I know I'm going to get all the credit, but I can't do it without you guys. And that was the one thing that Dr. J taught me. He's like, Make the other guys because you you're gonna make the most when you're a star you're gonna get all the credit, but you're gonna get all the blame too. That's another negative about it. you're gonna get you're gonna get you're gonna get a lot of credit, but you're gonna get all the blame and you're gonna get all the money. So he taught me always make these other guys feel important. And from what I've heard, and um, from a distance, man, Tom Brady is the best to ever do that. He makes every player on the team feel like yo. You important. We're doing this all together. So you're talking about Julius Irving. Let, let me get your opinion on, on, on Dr. J. Dr. J is the best autograph person that I've ever been around. He taught me always sign autographs, always take pictures, which I think I'm very good at doing. I don't. You but are. The one, but the one thing, yeah. But the one thing he taught me is when you have to say no, be really nice about it. You tell them, hey, listen, uh, I'm having dinner. I can't do it right now because if I start, people interrupt my dinner. And he'll say, like, sometime, hey, if you're at a crowded place, hey, I, I really would like to sign your autograph, but there's just too many people here. And if I start signing now, I'll be here and won't get to enjoy the event we're at. That's the number one thing I learned from him. Always sign autographs and take pictures. But if you have to say no, you do it in a way that you don't belittle the person to make them feel like crap. Uh, that's the one thing he taught me, and I really appreciate a lot. Arnold Palmer was the same way. He his autograph was legible, he was accessible, and he he didn't shy away from the public. I love that about Arnold Palmer as well. So he's he'd be another example out in the golf world that we both love playing golf. So um, yeah, you know, and, and listen, I've always heard that, and even when I was watching last week at Bay Hill, they had people send in emails and pictures of the time they met Arnold. And I've always heard that. But Dr. J, that's yeah. the one thing he taught me. He said, hey, yeah. man, be nice yeah. to people. You, you never, because you never know who, boy, you never know who, who's having a shitty day. 
And it, yeah. And, and if they take the time to come say hello to you and you just nice to them, you might brighten their day. You never know what's going on in somebody's life. I try to do that as well. So did you ever meet Arnold Palmer? Did you ever meet him? I, I did. I met Arnold. Oh, oh so I got to tell you something really, really cool before I get to Arnold and Jack. So one year we were on strike because, you know, obviously I can't play golf in charity tournaments, uh, the Bob Hope and things like that during the season. I was a hitch. How's yeah, the hitch? I, Martin, I'm playing great right now. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm almost back. I'm almost back to single digits. I found a teacher a couple of years ago named Stan Utley. My friends call him Mr. Miyagi. I, I, I met I met Stan at Tom Lehman's golf tournament a couple of years ago. And he said, Chuck, won't you? He, he worked. He's considered the best short game teacher in the world. And I met him at Tom Lehman's golf tournament. He said, Chuck, come spend a few days with me. And I went and spent a few days with him. It changed my life. I told you, I'm 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 really close to being back to single digits handicap. Uh, handicap. But to, yeah, but to answer your question, one year we were on strike, and I got a chance to meet Arnold and Jack Nicholas, and it was awesome. Actually, I think I met Jack before at a tournament down in Florida. He was walking with uh, Miss Barbara, and I walked up to him. I said, "I'm not going to bother you." He was, I think, he was watching his son play, if I remember correctly. But I got to meet one of the goats. I mean, Tiger to me is the goat, but Jack's right there. And then I met the king. But I want to tell you this. Right before basketball season started on my bucket list, I've always wanted to meet Gary Player. Mm. Uh, I've always wanted to meet Gary Player. And I was in Philly where I lived during the summer, and I was playing golf. And the pro says, hey, uh, somebody said Gary Player said you wanted to play golf. You've been look. I said, yeah, I always wanted to meet the Black Knight. Uh, he says, well, he's in town, and he says, you do you want to play golf with him? I says, hell yeah. And so, and it was one of the best days of my life. And man, you, you know, Martin, when you meet somebody that you want to meet and they're awesome, it's the greatest thing in the world. So mm-hmm. to play 18 holes with Mr. Player, and number one, I played really good too, which make it even better. And man, he was so awesome. And we text back and forth every now and then. And every time I get a text from him, you know, I light up like a Christmas tree because it's pretty yeah. cool. Well, I'll tell you, there's a guy that never was fat and lazy, man. That guy works out still at an advanced age. Yeah, Unbelievable he's like, physical it, shape. Yeah, he, I think he's like 90-something. Unbelievable. And he told me he, like, worked out every day for 70 years. I says, 70? Every day for 70 years? Are you kidding me? Uh, but, man, I tell you what, just to play with him and him be as awesome as he was, it was pretty special. I had the same uh, experience in the music business. You know, I met the Stones and I, I met Keith Richards and Charlie Watts on yeah. their a Voodoo Lounge tour. Huge Stones fan. And getting to meet them and them actually living up to my expectation of being cool, fun, and just like, this is the Stones, man. You know, yeah. hanging out with the Stones. That's kind of, I just, same kind of vibe, you know? It well, was, I, I, I feel the same way about the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I've been traveling with the Eagles for like 20 years. Um, well, probably longer than that. What and do you mean? I'll, oh, yeah. I've been with the Eagles. Actually, I don't know if you can see in the background. I, I'll grab it for you. Since you, we're talking music. Well, i just bouncing a little bit. I see you got your Auburn shirt on. Is that awesome? Uh, Pat Sullivan, the great Pat Sullivan. Oh, got you. So. Oh. 
Number one, I don't play the guitar, so let's get that out the way. No, I got you. That's fine. So, signed by all the Eagles for my 50th birthday. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's sweet. So, the, I, so, so I've been that, these guys. You got Timothy B. Smith, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and Joe Walsh. So, they gave me this for my 50th birthday. It's one of my prized possessions. That's awesome. Is that your favorite? Is that your favorite band? Is that your favorite type of music? Oh, uh, actually, I love Motown. But oh, me too, man. Yeah, I love Motown. Yeah, you know, and actually, for one of my birthdays, these guys got Aretha Franklin to say hello to me. So I'm a big music man. Mm. But I started following the Eagles probably twenty some years ago, and to go and meet them, and 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 uh, and, and I can say. Actually, the last thing I did before the pandemic was to see the Eagles in concert in Atlanta. And I got a chance to see the guys and that was in Glenn's son, Deacon, and Glenn and uh, no, 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 Vince Gill, Vince Gill. So obviously Glenn passed away a few years ago, but his son, Deacon, is took over and they, they split between him and Vince Gill singing Glenn's portion of the songs. That's right. And uh, that was the last time I saw him in concert right before the pandemics uh, came about. That's awesome. All right. I got sidetracked because I love music. Yeah, I love and, it too, brother. You know, so it, it's all good. Uh, back to the name game, uh, Clyde the Glide Drexler. You know, I enjoyed playing with Clyde. I, I think the only thing that bothered me about that situation was uh, I was a has-been at that point. Uh you know, I was on the way on the downside. Uh, Did you way, play too long? Did you play too long? Did you feel like you milked it? I played probably two years too long. But you know what happens is when you suck as a player, you say to yourself, I got to have a good year before I retire. Mm. And I was like, let me. So the thing is, you get yourself in great shape. And then you realize that, it's great to be in shape when you're playing against air. Because air doesn't <laughs> run and jump. And block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can you can jump against air and win, but when you jump against another guy, 6'9", who can really, really jump, like, whoo, these guys can really jump. So I played two years too long, but I was telling myself, I'm not very good right now. Let me have, you know – what you call it, ego or pride. That's, you know, whatever it is. But you say to yourself, I want to finish up good. I don't want these people to think I sucked my last year. And then I realized, like, oh, shit, it ain't going to get no better. <laughs> hey, it ain't going to get any better. This yeah. is, hey, the best is behind me. Right. And then, like, yeah, so I probably, I played two years too long. Yeah. I should have played 14 instead of 16. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can... I mean, I played 25 years, and it really hurt my pride when I couldn't kick off anymore. I couldn't hit a 50-yarder anymore. But there was still room for me. It's 32 teams. So one team, you know, was going to pay me to hit 45-yarders all day. So, yeah. Hey, listen, one of the things that make you you great and and, uh, and make any player great, like you have to think you're great and to be – and let me tell you something. When guy, our people said, "When did you know it was time to retire?" I said, "When guys who couldn't play were kicking my ass." That is, <laughs> that, that is so like, point. yeah. I yeah. like, uh, you know, kicking is a little bit different. 
But like when I'm playing against a guy like this guy can't, I'm saying this to myself, to, I'm like this guy can't play and he's kicking my ass. It's time for me to go home. <laughs> and it is such a success, number one. No matter, I never get mad when people are cocky who are successful because you're never going to be successful if you're not, have, don't have great pride in yourself. But man, it really hurts your pride when you can't play anymore. I mean, it's like, yeah, you say you, it hurts you when you couldn't kick off. Like, I was like out there, and I'm like, these guys can really run and really jump, but they can't play, but there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it. That, that train has left the station. It has left. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, so probably two years too long. Tell me about Scotty Pippen. Uh, I got Scotty too late in my career. So my I get traded to Houston. I can't play anymore. Hakeem is on his last legs. Clyde is on his last legs. And Scotty was in decline. So we, we, we weren't very good. It was just four well-known name players. Yeah. Uh, but And we lost, uh, we lost to the Jazz with John and Carl. But, I, you know, it would have been awesome to play with any of those three guys in my prime. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been great to play with any of those guys in my prime. Tell me, uh, Rick Mahorn. Rick Mahorn is one of my best friends, uh, even to this day. Okay. Uh, it was fun. Like, we started out hating each other because he was part of that bad boy who out there, they would just beat the hell out of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they we played them three or four times a year, and it was always fisticuffs. And then, obviously, watching them beat up Michael in the finals uh, in the Eastern Conference all the time was – because Michael at the time was one of my better friends. and But it's kind of like – and it's like this in every sport, I think. When you're playing against guys, you hate them. But when you you have to – when they come to your team, like, you just want to win. So, uh, number one, I realized two things. Number one, he was a good dude. And number two, he couldn't fight. Because if you look at the way the Pistons are, actually, they, was all, they were always getting beat up. Uh, Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumas were actually the only two tough guys on the team. But the rest of those guys, you only saw Bill Lambert getting beat up. Like, they were beating up people, but when the fight started, they just get beat up. <laughs> you, you, you said you were, you were friends at the time with Michael Jordan. What, what's your relationship now with Michael? Well, we don't speak anymore, Morin. I uh, Michael got upset at me, and I miss Michael and love Michael. I miss him a lot, but he got offended about something I said about his uh, uh, team, which, first of all, I was correct. Um, What I said was I didn't didn't think he would ever be successful as a general manager running the team because he only hires his friends. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I stuck by that, and he went crazy and got mad, and we haven't spoken. But uh, I do. I love the guy. I miss the guy. But uh, I got to do my job. And let me tell you something. You don't, that hurt me a lot to get on TV and say that because I can't say it about other people and then get on TV and give my best friend a pass. Like, I got to do my job. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I hate guys on television who, like, you can tell when you watch it, I'm like, oh, he likes that guy or that guy is a friend of his. Yeah. No, man, you got to do your job. 
Yeah. Like, if a guy's great his job, I tell him they great up his job. If a guy's not doing a good job, I never say a guy should get fired. I think that's unprofessional when guys on television say somebody gets should get fired. You can say they're not doing a good job, but I think anytime you say somebody should get fired, you're crossing a line. Yeah, I know you had a lot of battles, and I, I'll leave that alone, but on the court, what made what made Michael, and we'll move on to another subject, what made him so hard to defend? I think he had the perfect body. Um, you know, Martin, first of all, he's a little taller than me. It's for he can outrun everybody, he can outjump everybody, and he listen, he'd kill you to win. But listen, there are a lot of guys who really want to win. But if you put that body together, where you got a guy who's six six, two thirty, which is solid as a rock. You go if you go back and look at uh, that last thing documentary, you see how skinny he was in the beginning, and put on another 20, 30 pounds of muscles in two to three years before they finally beat the Pistons. But to have a body like that, where it's just perfectly proportioned, and you cannot run everybody and out jump everybody, like that's a deadly combination. And that's what made him, in my opinion, the goat. I know you're a, um, I know you're an Auburn fan. Yes, you went to Auburn. Shout out to the great Pat Sullivan. Rest in peace. Yes. Let's talk a little March Madness. We're getting ready. It's exciting. I love March Madness. It's one of my favorite sporting events. You know, I'm a Michigan State Spartan. I love Tom Izzo. Uh, you were, you were part of one appearance. And you guys got beat by Richmond in the first round back in 84. Yeah. Talk to me about that, whatever you remember about that lone appearance in the tournament. You were dominant. You had 23 points, 17 rebounds, in case you forgot. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh, well, I don't know exactly the numbers, but I was so pissed after that game because I wanted Bobby Knight so bad in the next game. And our guys just kind of froze under pressure. I'll take some responsibility for not getting us off to a better start. We were all nervous because, you know, to me, and I'm not bragging on myself, that's one of my greatest accomplishments, uh, getting Auburn to March Madness. Auburn had never been to the tournament before. And for me to get uh, in my three years, I remember my first year we lost, uh, you know, you play like a little cupcake to start the season. And we finally lost a game and I started crying. And these guys look at me like, yo, man, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just upset we lost. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we never win here. I'm like, what? We never win here. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you never win here. We never won here before. And, you know, more than I was like, I went to my room that night. Because I said, like, in, in my junior and senior year in high school, we lost like three times. Every time you lost, you cried. But it was like <laughs> traumatic. And so every time we lost, I cried. And so I remember sitting in my room that night. I called the coach. I said, Coach, these guys said we never win around here. They saw me crying after the game. He said, I saw you crying, but I didn't want to embarrass you or say anything in front of you and in front of the other guys. I said, Coach, we're going to win here. We're going to win here. And I remember getting the guys together the next day. I said, hey, none of this bullshit anymore. We're going to fucking win. We're going to get better. We're going to work harder. 
we're not going to settle for losing. And by the end of my first year, we wasn't good, but we were competitive. My second year, we almost made to NIT. And then by the third year, we made it to, to the big dance. And man, I tell people, and then I left after my junior year, but I remember that so vividly, like when them, them guys telling me like, what do you mean we never win? We can do something about that. And uh, I loved going to Auburn. The only thing I hated about Auburn, man, was being around Bo Jackson, who's the, who's the greatest athlete I've ever been around, you know, in the conversation. And the way Auburn works is football is King Kong. Football is King Kong. And let me tell you something. I'm starting to get a little reputation as a really good basketball player. But let me tell you something, Mark. When you walk around with Bo Jackson, people are knocking you out the way to get to Bo Jackson. I'm like, I'm somebody too. I'm somebody too. Hey, and hey, and the funny thing about it, it's still like that today. I got feelings too. It's still like that today. When we go down to Auburn, even today, Martin, I can be walking with Bo Jackson, and he and listen. He's a great friend and a great friend of mine. I love him like a brother. But when you're walking with Bo Jackson down at Auburn, hey, when these fans see Bo Jackson, they're going to get Bo Jackson. They don't care. Come hell or high water, you better be waiting. Keep you like, can run over. They'll run you over to get to Bo Jackson. But to get back to your original point about March Madness, you know, man, I've become pretty good friends with Izzo the last few years. He's awesome. Got number love and respect for him. Well, let me tell you something. I've done a lot of cool things in my life. The Olympics are the greatest sporting event in the world. I've been able to do it twice, and it's been amazing both times. One of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. But you know what's second? Freaking March Madness. Man, I think this will be my eighth year. Could be eight or nine. I can't keep up with him. Man, it's unbelievable how awesome it is. I can't tell people, I say, yo, man, you you got to go to the Final Four one time in your life. Like I tell people, you got to go to the Olympics one time in your life. If you like sports, just go one time. I feel the same way about the Final Four. Mm -hmm. It is the most amazing, especially that Saturday. Like the whole tournament is awesome. But that Saturday, every year when you have 20,000 fans for each school, and everybody think they got a chance, and they're going nuts like three hours before the game. And I tell people, ain't nothing like Saturday at the Final Four. So I've been watching four or five college games a day for the last six weeks, and I cannot wait for this Sunday with the selection show. And then we off to the races, and it is flat-out amazing. My apologies for not knowing is Auburn Auburn will be in a tournament. Auburn's not going to be in a tournament this year. Auburn has some uh, issues with uh, a recruit, so they decided not to go to the tournament this year. They probably wouldn't have made the tournament anyway. Uh, yeah. But they're they're sitting out this year. They're going to be back okay. there next year. <laughs> Do you have a, a suggestion on Final Four teams? Well, there's two teams that I'm gonna if if they don't make it to the Final Four, I'm gonna be shocked. I think the best team in the country is Gonzaga, and then there's Baylor. Now, Michigan and Illinois are really good, but I've been talking a lot of crap lately. I'm going to take 
Baylor and Gonzaga and give everybody. I've been making bets for dinner with my friends for the last month. I got about 15 dinners out there. I'm taking Baylor and Gonzaga and I'm giving everybody else to feel a nice steak dinner or Italian dinner, a couple balls of wine. I got a lot of bets going on out there, but I like my chances with my two powerhouses. Do you think this is a good idea, kind of doing the bubble like the NBA did? I think, man, I got to give these guys, all these guys, a lot of credit. Yeah. It's been amazing. I get the NFL a lot of credit. Never thought we'd have a full football season. We had a couple delays. Can't believe they made it through. Yeah, We've been kind of – we are probably probably 75% of everything that's worked out perfect for us so far. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way you can do it. To have these kids all over the country – on planes, in hotels with strangers. Uh, I just hope nobody gets positive. And they only, listen, I tell these kids, for one of the greatest things in your life, you just got to stand down for three weeks. <laughs> you, hey, right. you, hey, I'll do, I think I can do anything for three weeks. Yeah, uh, I am with you. I'm with you. I get a chance to be, make, be, be legendary. Let me put a bow on Auburn. How shocked were you that Gus Malsan was let go? I mean, he was winning. He was winning at Auburn. You know, uh, I was I wasn't totally shocked because every time he loses to Alabama, <laughs> you know, listen, Nick Saban, they got the greatest football coach in the world over in Tuscaloosa. Every time we lose to Alabama, it's always a lot of noise. I think that Auburn needs to make a decision. You know, more the moon and the sun are not competing. Uh, this, first of all, this is some shit I read. Don't act like I'm smart enough to know all this. I read it somewhere. It was a great. I like to read quotes that are important, uh, and because they like because a lot of quotes are really important and significant if you actually listen to them. And it's, it said, "The sun and the moon are not in competition with each other. You need to shine when it's your time to shine." And I was like, damn, that's good. I hate it. I mean, somebody said it in like 1600, so nobody even said it in 20. I wish I thought thought of that. But the the problem we got at Auburn is we got an inferiority complex. Hey, Alabama's Alabama. We're never going to be Alabama. They've won 19 championships. We've won two in 50 years. We won one in the 50s, and we won one with Cam Newton. They've won 22. This man has won like six in the last 10 years. You don't compare yourself to other people. If you live your life comparing yourself to other people, you're going to go freaking nuts. And Auburn, we need to make a decision like, hey, just shine when it's our time to shine. Don't go around living your life trying to compare yourself to what's going on across the state. They got the goat over there. But uh, that's our biggest problem. Finish up with some NBA stuff. I'd like I'd love to get your opinion on some current stuff, some some teams and some players. Joel Embiid is currently pretty favorite, right, to win the M- MVP. You know, we've had a love hate relationship the last few years because he thinks I'm hard on him. Okay. All I told him was number one, you got to get in shape, and you got to take your big butt in the post. You're the best big man in the league, and every time you shoot a three. The other team was like, thank you. We didn't have to wrestle with that big monster in the post. And now all of a sudden he got in shape and he's listening to me and Shaq. He is dominating, flat out dominating. Now, 
what they're doing up in Brooklyn is going to be a handful. But I like the Sixers because I don't think they got anybody that can handle Joel. Now, Ben and Tobias Harris and all those other guys got to play well, but the Brooklyn Nets, man, they putting some stuff together that's going to be hard to beat, but it's going to be fun. That's why we play the games. How about the Lakers out west? Is it the Lakers and Nets maybe for the NBA Finals? Well, I know the NBA would go crazy for that. To get the Lakers, uh, the Lakers are the Lakers, and then have a team in New York in the finals, I know they would go nuts. But listen, it's all going to come down to Anthony Davis. The Lakers are not going to win if Anthony Davis is not healthy. They're not going to win. He's obviously out now. Well, he's, he's out a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. But we can't sleep on the Utah Jazz and the Clippers. But like I say, if Anthony Davis is healthy, the Lakers are going to be a handful, plain and simple. What about what the Suns are doing and what they're building in Phoenix? I mean, how close are they to being a real contender in the Western Conference? You know, Devin Booker, can he be the best player on a team that wins an NBA title? Well, you can't ask me that question because I live in Phoenix, uh, number one. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little biased. Well, go for I, it. Hey, I, I really want the Suns to do well. You know, uh, I live in Arizona, so I root for the Suns. I root for the Suns and the Sixers. Right? Those are my two teams I play for. But living in Phoenix, I'm so happy with, uh, with bringing in Chris Paul, who they get mad at me on TNT because I said he's the best leader in sports. Chris Paul's the best leader in sports. You know, when he was in New Orleans, they were good. Yeah. When he was with the Clippers, they were good. Mm-hmm. They go to Houston. They almost beat the Warriors. They ship him off last year to a no-man's land in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. He gets a, a, a team to the playoffs. And all of a sudden now he goes to a team that's in last place in the West. And now they got the third best record in the, in the Western Conference. So he's the best leader we got in the NBA. But to answer your question, can they beat those top three teams? Man, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. So uh, I, I would love to see that. I'm biased for my sons, but Lakers, Jazz, and Clippers, to me, are the three teams. What was your relationship with the late, great Kobe Bryant? We were cordial. We were cordial. Uh, Kobe's not friendly with, was not friendly with anybody, as you all his teammates ever said. You know, <laughs> He was a like I say, and that doesn't bother me. He was a loner, and that, but every time we saw each other, because our Philadelphia connection, he always said hello. He always gave me respect. I always gave him respect. But the notion, like he, hey, his teammates have said, hey, we're in a restaurant, and Kobe walk in. Kobe gonna go sit by himself. Hmm. But I will tell you this, Martin. I was at the movies. That day, I'm a big movie guy. And I always go to the movies during the day. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming out, I always go to the 11 o'clock movie. When I get in my car, I was like, no, somebody's got traded. Because I had like 50 missed calls and 50 messages. And And every time something big happened, NBA reporters and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I started going through my text and it said, died, killed, died, killed. And I said, oh my God, somebody died or got killed. 
And then when it was Kobe, I just started crying on the spot. Because like I said, even though we weren't close, it was like a, you know, the NBA is such a tight knit community. Yeah. And I felt like I lost a family member. I did. And and to lose somebody at such a young age, it broke my heart. And then to lose his daughter and all those other beautiful souls. Yeah. And and um man, I just I, I just felt sadness because one of my pet peeves is I only get sad when young people die. And I tell people, I'm 58 years old. If I died, I, I would just like to say, hey, thank you for an amazing, great life. Because you should have done something by 58. <laughs> you know? Good point. Hey, You're making a valid you know, I point. I tell people, like, yeah, man. I, and I actually started saying that once I got to 50. Like, if you haven't accomplished or had some good things happen by the time you're 50, it's uh, not that it's too late, but it's too late. I've had a great, amazing run. I've exceeded all my expectations. Listen, as I was telling you earlier, I'm a fat kid from the projects in Alabama who grew up and I have lived, quote unquote, the American dream, the greatest life. Man, it's, so I was just sad that somebody that young yeah. passed away. I think the reason you're not going to have any regrets is because you you are authentically you. You are approachable. Whether people like the fact that you don't have a filter, although you do have a filter because you also know where not to go. I refer back to your earlier point about what you said 20 years ago doesn't fly today, which means to me that you have intelligence, okay, emotional intelligence. And well, well, you know, hey, I'm, first of all, because I don't want to lose this little scam job I got, Martin. <laughs> Hey, 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 Let's, I tell him, wait, I said, let me get this straight. Y'all going to pay me to watch basketball. Yeah. I said, hey, I, hey, listen, whatever they tell me not to say on television, I'm not going to screw this gig up. They pay me to watch basketball. <laughs> you know, and you, and you, you know what? It's a very good place to finish, actually, Chuck, is with your compadres on, on Inside the NBA. So power rank the Inside the NBA crew. You got Ernie Johnson, Kenny the Jet Smith, Shaq. Well, Who, me, how do you power rank this crew? Well, Ernie is the godfather. Okay. Ernie is the most important person. Because Ernie is actually the only one who does work. <laughs> like, Ernie knows when we go to commercial, how many segments on the show. Me, Kenny, and Ernie, me, Kenny, and Shaq just show up and talk basketball and act stupid. But Ernie has to work hard. So he is the most important person on the show because he, I mean, there is some, like, some format, as they call it, to the show. So Ernie is, we call him the godfather. Kenny is a typical New Yorker. Kenny think we should get, like, every commercial, Kenny think we should get a product. He Because his thing is, well, if they're showing the product on our show, that's kind of like we're endorsing it. I said, Kenny, they pay us. The commercials help pay us. We're not endorsing the product. So Kenny is a typical New York Martin. He has an <laughs> angle for everything. Shaq, Love it. Shaq is the hardest working guy I've ever been around. Mm -hmm. 
He never takes a weekend off. He DJs on the side. So he either shoots a commercial, because he got 100 commercials. Yes, he does. Or he DJs every weekend. He is the most amazing guy as far as his work ethic. Like, I want to play golf and fish. I'm content to play golf and fish. I could do it every day because I don't want to be working or doing anything all the time. Because when you work, you got to work. Because now I'm getting ready to come up on my busy time of the year. Like, I go starting this week, this weekend, Mars Madness is no joke. No. And then I, uh, I'll probably go right into the NBA where you work like every day for two months. But the rest of the time, I just want to play golf and fish. Shaq wants to work all the time. So Ernie, Kenny, well, Ernie, me, Kenny, <laughs> and Shaq. I left myself out. So I'm I'm stuck. Yeah, yeah. I'm stuck. What do you th- how do you think if I asked Shaq that or Kenny or Irving, would they r- rank that the same? Well, Shaq always think he is the man. Uh so I think Kenny would go Ernie number one himself, two, then me. He put us in the order we were hired. But Shaq always thinks he's the man. So he would go himself, Ernie. And then he doesn't care about me and Kenny, as long as him and Ernie are one and two. Where do you rank yourself? I know you're in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. You're in the NBA, you know, the pro basketball. You know, where I, I know it's hard to – it's a hard one, but – Well, I you think were, it's – You were dominant. You dominated. Yeah. You were great. You know, listen, I was glad to be part of the uh, top 50. I think the game has changed so much because I love to see these little guys try to play in our day where we could beat the hell out of each other. Listen, I love Steph Curry. He's a great, great person and a great, great player. But anybody with common sense who could tell you after they saw the last dance, number one, I was living, obviously, and playing during that time, but I forgot how much they beat up Michael and Scotty. But if anybody gets on TV and tell you Steph Curry's little body could take the beating that Michael Jordan took, they're not being honest. Uh, that 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 documentary brought back a lot of great memories and bad memories when they beat us in the finals. Yeah. But anybody who's going to be honest and say that Steph Curry, as great as he is, or Dame Lillard, who's a great, great player, that they could take the beating that Michael was taking from the Pistons. So I think that's probably the hardest part of trying to compare errors. It's kind of like you in football. They're playing touch out there right now. Yeah, <laughs> they, they are. They're playing touch, and they're throwing the ball every down, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so hard to compare errors. Listen, I would you think about Dan Marino, how great he was. LA. How great would Dan Marino be today if he could throw the balls 50 times a day? I mean, it's it's just a different game. I mean, the wide receivers, I remember, you know, I, I I've been a big football fan for a long time. You go back in the day, you they putting that smelling stuff under these guys' nose. They're like, we can't even do that anymore. <laughs> we can't we can't even hit guys hard anymore. That used to be a thing where you're like, 
let's intimidate. Like, and even in the NBA, like, let's hit this guy so hard. He's he's soft. He won't come back in here anymore. That was part of intimidation. And now in football, number one, you're going to get tossed out the game and suspended if you try to send somebody a message. And I don't even want to get into the quarterback situation because that's actually the one thing that I don't like about the game, how much they protect the quarterback. Listen, all the players are important and significant, but they've made a conscious effort. We're not going to let anybody hurt the quarterback. And I'm like, the other guys, the quarterback take less punishment probably than any player on the field other than a kicker. (laughs) Yeah. I, I tell people, I says, wait, we're protecting the guy who gets heat hit the less out of all the people on a football field. Yeah. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's probably the only thing. As much as I love football, this is my favorite sport. And, you know, it was – I haven't had many bad days in my life, Morton. No. But the one bad day I had in my life was the one day I played football. And I realized these dudes are fucking nuts for being out here. I played one day, and I used to joke with the high school coach later. I said, it probably was bad coaching. You put me on the defensive line where I got hit every play. I said, you put me in a position like where I'm a tight end or I get to hit people, you know, I might have had success and enjoyed it more. But you put me on the defensive line where I got hit in the head every play. Oh, yeah. And I said – I remember the last thing the coach said to me. He said, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I said, wait, I'm not doing this tomorrow. I'm not doing this tomorrow. Hey, hey, I'm not doing this tomorrow. No, it's brutal. Hey, hey, I I took a good hot shower. I fold my stuff up all neat. I said, coach, uh, I'm never coming out here again. Thanks for the opportunity. But I'm not doing this tomorrow. I said, I'm not that stupid. I said, I did something stupid today coming out here. If you think I'm going to come out here and do this tomorrow, you are freaking nuts. You, you know what? You, you chose wisely. The round, the round ball. Listen, there was a reason I was a kicker. I got hit a couple of times, man. It was like a speed bump. I was out. I separated the shoulder, broke a rib, and I was unconscious. I'm like, man, if I played another position, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to do it. There's no chance. So the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman, like they get hit every play. Every play you get, get hit. Every single play. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this, man. Well, think about being a fullback. If you're a fullback and you're blocking, you're blocking on every single play. Whether it's a pass or a run, you're blocking. Oh. Or you're running. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, – uh, hey, I told you, I've had a great run, but that was the worst day of my life. I'm like, you ain't coach. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm not built for this. I'm not going to come out here and run into a dude. I got so – because I'm basically just running into a dude full speed every play. Yes. We, we, hey, we used to joke. He says, yeah, I probably should have put you at tight end or linebacker where you could go and seek and destroy, but – I said, yeah, that defensive line, offensive line, that wasn't for me. A little too late, sir. Yes, it's a little too late. <laughs> Charles, it's been fun, man. I've kept you way too long, and I, I know you're getting into your busy. I'm so glad I caught you, and we caught you before you, you know, you get into the grind of it. 
Well, let me tell you something. Yeah. I look forward every time I see you. You're a good man, uh, yeah. a really good dude, too. Hey, listen, it was Thank my you. pleasure. Hey, let's do it again sometime down the line. I had a great time. I, I really appreciate you. And Hey, uh, hey you know, I want to say this, too. I want to give a shout-out to you guys. Hey, I am the worst computer person in the world. And I had no idea how to make this thing work. So I just want to thank you guys for walking me through it. Tom Carroll is listening. So you can thank yeah. Tom Carroll personally. Hey, thank you, brother. I can say I know I'm a, a computer illiterate, but thank you. Uh, thank you very much for walking me to it. Hey, 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 Martin, thank you for having me, brother. Hey, so Charles, I'll see you. Yes, brother. sir. Y'all be safe, guys. That was a great conversation with Chuck, and I'll have more on him, of course, in my Game Winner segment at the end of the podcast. But Freeze Pops, before we get to your conversation with Kevin Rogers, tell our listeners where they can find us on social media. You got to follow us on Twitter, at Great Dane Nation. Follow us on Instagram, at Great Dane Nation VI. And remember, make sure you check out the video version of our interview with Charles Barkley on the Vegas Insider YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. You can go back and check out our previous interviews with Sean Payton, Cam Jordan, Troy Aikman, and many more. That's youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Now let's get to my conversation with Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider. VegasInsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information, and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. Each week, we're joined by the experts from Vegas Insider to make us a little smarter. And this week, we welcome back Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider. Kevin, what's going on? Tom, good to talk to you again. I see your Patriots are on a uh, spending spree, so uh, way to talk about March Madness with your Patriots. We love that, baby. Keep them um, coming. Keep bringing these guys in. Make sure you follow Kevin on Twitter at VI Rogers. He's got podcasts. He's got picks. The man does it all. And Kevin, like you mentioned, March Madness. Thank God the tourney is here after a year of no March Madness. Very sad last year when things got canceled, but happened for obvious reasons. But here we are, 2021. The tournament is here. And it feels like all of the college basketball people in my life have been telling me all season long that it's Gonzaga, Baylor, and everyone else. Now that we've made it to March... Do you think this holds true? Are we seeing both of these teams in the Final Four? I would say Gonzaga maybe more than Baylor. I don't know how much I trust Baylor down the stretch. They didn't play very well over the last few games. They had the COVID issues that hit definitely at the wrong time of the season. And they lost to Kansas. They should have lost to West Virginia. They lost to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament. But uh, Gonzaga... What's so funny about them is everyone talks about how they really didn't get tested all season long. They still were undefeated. They weren't in a great conference. They, they had some good wins out of conference to start the season. But uh, once conference play hits, obviously they're not as strong of a conference as these other teams. Gonzaga, I think, gets out of the West. But with the likes of Iowa and Kansas and Virginia and USC – and Creighton in their side, I think that's a, it's going to be a tough road for them. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but it's going to be a tough road for them. So you talk about these tough roads. We always love when those high seeds have all these tough games as they go towards the Final Four. But we also love the upsets. That's why we really, really 
tune into March Madness, right? We want to see these underdogs take down the big guys. So in the first round, are there any matchups that catch your eye for a possible upset special this opening weekend? Are we talking Ohio? Are we talking North Texas? What are we looking at here? There's not a lot I really love as far as upsets, just because, you know, honestly, teams like Colgate and Winthrop, you say, okay, who do they beat this year? That That's kind of the one thing that really scares me is when you have a really good record, but I don't know who you beat. One team I'm going to keep an eye on just because I feel like it's momentum. One team has played a lot of momentum and the other one isn't is Oregon state against Tennessee and Tennessee started off strong, really faltered down the stretch. Their offense wasn't good. And Oregon state's played a lot of confidence. They were not supposed to be a tournament team. They beat their rival Oregon. They beat Colorado. They beat UCLA. They had some good wins in that PAC 12 tournament. And they really were playing well before that. That's the difference, I think, between them and, like, Georgetown. I don't like Georgetown at all. I think they lose to Colorado. Georgetown had a nice four-day run. Oregon State, this run has gone on for a few weeks, and then it carried into the Pac-12 tournament. So I think that Oregon State can be worth a look as far as pulling an upset in the first round. How are you liking your chances for FSU, your squad? You guys are the four seed in the East region with Morton's Michigan State Spartans there in the play-in game. What do you think? Do the Knolls have a shot here? I mean, they do. Look, they blew that big game against North Carolina and Chapel Hill. They lose at Notre Dame, which is inexcusable. And look, Georgia Tech's a feisty team. They lost to them in the uh, ACC championship. So it's not like they're uh, – it's not terrible, but also they're not playing their best going in. And – you know, fortunately, I guess, you know, if they assume they get past UNC Greensboro, they get either Colorado or Georgetown and then maybe Michigan, but Michigan's a little dinged up. So it's not the worst region to be in, but man, I mean, they are just not playing their best. But look, Tom, these tournaments are very fickle because you can not be playing well, go on a run. You can be UConn with Kemba years ago. They won five straight in five days in the Big East. They won six and really won 11 straight games to win the tournament. That's just so hard to think, especially with now COVID. You're playing in Indiana. You're basically the first time they're in a bubble, okay, after all these years. that You don't have the freedom you used to have. These guys are stuck in their room for a few days. That That's where this is, this is a little tricky. This is definitely – and I think that's the excuse we always use this year is that COVID, COVID. But this is a little tricky to see what these teams can do. And also, no team except for maybe Purdue has any kind of home court advantage. Like you see in the first two rounds, like Duke or North Carolina and Greensboro, or if Gonzaga's playing out west, you don't have Kansas playing Kansas City. You don't have that this year. There's no home, I would say home geographic advantage for any of these teams. So that's been another thing to keep an eye on. Kevin, thank you as always for the time. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it. We have the Bet and Collect podcast you can find. We have a new episode out uh, previewing the tournament. Also, we have the Daily Insider, which is the live stream for our YouTube channel, Vegas Insider. We have that daily at 1 o'clock Eastern. So we have that. We talk about a half hour, look at the night before, look ahead to the day, and a lot of uh, obviously March Madness conversation right now. So you can find uh, the Bet and Collect podcast on VegasInsider.com. You can find the live stream, the Daily Insider as well. Also, we have some videos previewing some best bets you can find also on VegasInsider.com. And you can go over to YouTube, YouTube.com slash VegasInsiderTV for all of that great video content. That's YouTube.com slash VegasInsiderTV. Kevin, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the b-ball. All right. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it.
And now, Morton Anderson's game winner. Take a chill pill and relax, everyone. Charles Barkley has it figured out. The situation that we find ourselves in today requires levity and perspective and an understanding of the context in which things are said and done. It seems that we have all gotten very sensitive about everything. Charles knows that half of the people in his audience will disapprove of his words and the other half will agree. That's life. We're all different with separate sensibilities and opinions. But Charles Barkley really just wants to entertain us and make us laugh. He does not have a mean bone in his body. I think that he sometimes is misunderstood because he has no filter and takes risks to get the funny moment. He's the first to admit that he has skated on thin ice before and that what was funny 20 years ago does not fly today. When Charles, Shaq, Kenny and Ernie take the stage to deliver six hours of basketball entertainment. Their sole focus is to entertain and inform. Well, mostly entertain. And they do so in a hilarious and often unpredictable experiment that usually lands somewhere between, wow, and did I just hear them say that? Then the dust settles though, and I always feel that I was enlightened and provoked to think of basketball in a different way. I also learned some insider nuances of the game, and I feel comfortable and safe that the four of them have our best interest at heart. To their credit, they've checked their egos at the door for the sake of the show. No one has a bigger and stronger personality than Sir Charles Barkley. He's one of the few people that I know who can capture a room immediately and make heads turn. He has a larger-than-life personality, and he's often heard before he's seen. I think that the reason Charles gets it is because he's present in everything that he does. He lives fully and realizes how lucky and privileged he is. He's willing to pay it forward and to make a positive difference in someone's life. I'm not a role model was fodder for the critics, but the fact is that Charles Barkley affects lives daily and he's conscious about it. He relishes the chance to help and to make a difference. He can and he does, all while leaving us laughing, smiling and believing. We'll see you next time. Great Dane Nation is presented by VegasInsider.com, the global leader in sports gaming information and your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. A big thanks to Charles Barkley for joining us this week, and thanks to Kevin Rogers and the team at Vegas Insider. Remember to check out Vegas Insider's YouTube channel for all of Morton's interviews from Great Dane Nation, as well as amazing content from our handicappers talking NBA, college hoops, and much more. Go to youtube.com slash TV. Great Dane Nation is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review today. 